<laughs> All right, so let's, uh, let's start covering ground over here. Today's daf is daf Lamed Gimel, page 33 in Rosh Roshona. And we pick up, we pick up from the Mishnah on the bottom of Lamed Beis, Amud Beis. Okay, we're going to pick up five, uh, six lines from the bottom of 32B, Lamed Beis, Amud Beis. We're going to start the Mishnah. Very interesting Mishnah discussing... Um, what should one do if they have the mitzvah of shofar to be done, but there's various um, halachic obstacles standing in one's way of performing shofar? So is it better to transgress those obstacles um, at, to, to perform the mitzvah or, or not? Okay, so let's get going. Says the Mishnah, six lines from the bottom of 32b, Lamed Beis, Amud Beis. Okay? We all got it? Rabia, welcome on. Let's go. Shofar so Rosh Hashanah. A shofar that's needed to be used for the blowing of the mitzvah on Rosh Hashanah. Ein ma'avirin alav es One is not permitted to leave their techum, their city borders, in order to perform the mitzvah. So classic example is going to be, we know, that from the, the boundaries of a city, one is only permitted to walk an additional 2,000 amos. Now, according to most opinions, it's only a rabbinic issue. Rabbi Akiva holds it's biblical. But we rule, the, the psaq halacha is, it's only a rabbinic issue. Says the Mishnah very interestingly, we have to see why. One is not permitted to transgress a rabbinic issue of tchum in order to perform the biblical obligation of, of uh, Shaifer. Yeah? In other words, Rabiel, Rabiel, you're not allowed to throw stones at cars that are driving on Shabbos. <laughs> I driving a car, eh? Throwing stones is what? Just because someone else is, is transgressing doesn't give you a right to throw stones. Unless you really want to, then I'll give you upside. Okay. <laughs> Another thing that it's forbidden to do, is that let's say you have a chauffeur that is buried under rubble, muktzah rubble, and in order to get your mitzvah on Rosh Hashanah, you want to hear the chauffeur so badly, you're going to have to clear away that muktzah, says the Mishnah, better to not transgress with the muktzah, and you also won't perform the mitzvah of shofar. I'm sorry, I skipped. You're also not allowed to climb up a tree. Okay, now climbing up a tree... Is a, rabbinic trans, is a rabbinic prohibition because we don't want it to lead to a biblical transgression of ripping a branch off. The Ein Reichel Also, the rabbis say you're not allowed to ride on top of an animal because you might come to a biblical transgression of ripping off a branch. Also, to swim. There's a, issue, there's a, a conversation what the transgression of swimming on Shabbos is. Is it an issue that you might come to build something? Or is it an issue of you may come to light a fire in the bathhouse if we permit people to bathe most of their bodies? So it might be an issue of havara, kindling a flame. You're also not allowed to cut open the horn to allow the sound to come through. And you're not allowed to prepare and cut the shofar to get the sound out, whether you're cutting it in a biblical transgression way, which is usually the normal fashion is going to be a, bi- a biblical problem. And you also can't do it in an abnormal way. If you want to clean out your chauffeur, 
to get a clearer sound that you can do. That's permitted. Let's pause for a moment. Let's get a grasp. Very heavy first part of the Mishnah. Very fascinating. Okay? Again. So let's get into this. Let's just talk outside what we just read. I want so badly to fulfill my mitzvah of Shofar and Rosh Hashanah. One of my favorite mitzvahs to do. Ah, you hear the shaifer, you connect, you understand. There's an awakening. I only get to do this once a year. This is amazing. But what happens? Nebuch, the only shofar in town, is stuck under mukta, Or it's a little bit beyond my tchum. Or some, some smart aleck threw it up into a tree. And now the shofar's stuck. And in order to fulfill this most precious mitzvah that I love so much, I'm going to have to go through a rabbinic transgression, says the Gemara, a very important rule. Better, and we're, the Gemara is going to get into the explanation of the Mishnah, but listen to this, this is the idea. Better to passively not perform a mitzvah than to actively transgress rabbinically. Again, Better to passively not perform a biblical mitzvah of shofar than to actively transgress a rabbinic prohibition. Okay? That's what we see so far in our mission. Let's continue on in the mission. What, 32B? Yeah, 32B. Four lines from the bottom of, uh, of the Amud. Okay? Says the Mishnah of Aitra. The Mishnah continues and says, We do permit kids to practice blowing shoifer. But, but um, we do even go ahead and teach them how to blow shoifer. Very interesting. Okay, we're going to see if this talking about on Shabbos or a regular Rosh Hashanah. This is very interesting. means What if some guy is just blowing shoifer? Stam, guy's blowing shoifer. He wants to know what time it is. Yeah, so he blows it loud and he wants some guy to yell out to him, what are you, crazy? It's three o'clock in the morning, right? So he's blowing shoifer just randomly, not for the sake of a mitzvah. And if a person listens to that type of blowing, also one has not fulfilled his obligation. So you see from this end of the Mishnah that in order to fulfill the mitzvah of shofar, the actual blowing that's taking place needs to be conducted for the purpose of the performance of a mitzvah. Some guy is just blowing shoifer because he likes the sound of it. He's trying to play a song. He's practicing whatever he's doing, but he's not doing it for the sake of a mitzvah. He doesn't get his mitzvah, and anybody listening to those sounds do not receive a mitzvah either. Period. End of the Mishnah. We're now two lines from the bottom of Lamed Beis and Beis. Let's get into the Gemara. Let's go. My time. What is the reason? That one should not actively transgress a rabbinic prohibition for the sake of performing a biblical mitzvah. Shoifer asehu. I'll tell you why. Because the mitzvah of shofar is a positive commandment. What's a positive commandment? Go do this. Right? However, the yomtif, the laws of yomtif asei vilosase, are both a positive command. Why? Because as we learned, it says about yomtif shabbason. That it's a day, we have to, we, we have to actively make it a day of rest. And it's also transgression, as we know. It says, right? You're not allowed to do. It's, it's both a perform the rest and don't perform the malacha. The positive commandment of blowing shofar does not push aside the negative transgressions of, of both the positive and the negative transgression of Yomtev. 
Okay, before we go any further, just to take in this very, very fascinating and important message of how a Jew is supposed to approach the holidays. How do we, how do we approach a Shabbos? How do we approach a Yom Tif? Unfortunately, too many of us view these days as days where we're restricted. We can't do things. I can't do this. I can't do that. Says the Gemara, no, that's not chas v'sholem. That's not what a Shabbos or Yom Tov is. Shabbos or Yom Tov are days where we can do things. I can rest on Shabbos. I can do this on a Yom Tov. This is a day where I'm, I'm connecting to myself. I'm connecting to Hashem. I'm connecting to my true essence. Shabbos and Yom Tov are days of both positive things that we're supposed to actively do, actively make it, make it special, and also, there's the don't do's. True. There's, there's things that we're, that we're not allowed to do. But chas v'shalom, God forbid, for a person to only approach a Shabbos or Yom Tif in a way where it's restrictive. Just the opposite. We need to approach it in a day where it is expansive. It is a day where we can open ourselves up. Okay. Beautiful. Next piece of Gemara. We are now on the very bottom line of Lama Beis. Lama Beis. Like, we said in the Mishnah, that a person is not allowed to climb a tree to get a shoifer. He's not allowed to ride on top of an animal to get a shoifer. Now, these two things are forbidden rabbinically because you might come to a biblical transgression. Now, in the beginning of the Mishnah, it told us you're not allowed to leave a tchum. That is a rabbinic transgression. Is it because it might lead to a biblical problem? No. It's just a rabbinic transgression. So the Gemara asks a basic question. If you're going to tell me I can't leave my tchum to go get a shofar, when there's no chance I'm coming to a biblical transgression with this, right? I, biblically, I can walk outside my tchum, but I still can't do that. Ask the Gemara, you're going to, if I'm not allowed to get a shofar when there's only rabbinic issues, certainly... I should not be allowed to get my chauffeur when I may come to a biblical issue, i.e. climbing up a tree. Why is it necessary for the Mishnah to tell me that? To which the Gemara responds, you're right. It's not a bigger chiddish. It's not a bigger novel idea. However, sometimes a Mishnah starts from the, the, small, from the, the smaller chiddish and it works its way up to, the, actually from the bigger chiddish and works its way to the smaller chiddish. Okay, period. End of that discussion on the Gemara. We now turn to today's daf. Daf Lamed Gimel Lamed Aleph, 33a. Let's get going. Okay? We say you're not allowed to open up the shofar. You're not allowed to cut the shofar to get the sound. Whether you're doing it in a, with a rabbinic cutting or a biblical cutting. Says the Gemara, What's an example of a rabbinic item that, it, that you're not allowed to cut your shofar with? That is referring to a megala. What's a megala? A sickle. Lysa say, right? Because most people are not cutting their chauffeurs with a sickle. A sickle is a planting tool. It's not meant to cut your chauffeur with a sickle. Okay? So if it's, on, it's an unusual type, it's only a, a rabbinic issue. What is a biblical transgression? Lysa say, sakina, your classic knife. So the Gemara says, If you're not allowed to cut open the shofar with a utensil that is forbidden rabbinically, how much more so would I, would I know simply that you cannot do it with a, with a potential biblical problem? The Gemara gives the same answer we said before. 
You're right. We're saying you're not allowed to do with a rabbinic utensil, and I don't even need to tell you that you can't do it with a biblical transgression type of tool. Okay, period, end of that discussion. The next part of the Mishnah stated, Aval, however, you're not allowed to cut open the shoifer, however, to clean out the shoifer to get a better sound, with wine or water, that is allowed. Says the Gemara, it seems you could use water or wine. But urine, it seems, you're not allowed to put in. Okay? Now, meraglayim was a was a, something that they would use generally in a mixture with other things as a cleaning agent. Okay? So, apparently this was, it, it was not uncommon to have meraglayim, to have urine mixed into various cleaning liquids. So the Gemara says, it seems you can only use water and wine, but not Urine, Mastis in money. Who's the Tan of our mission? Abishol, he, it's Abishol, the Tan he learned in Abraiza. Abishol Oimer, Abishol says, That even if in other places you may use a, a urine mixture to clean it out, when it comes to chauffeur, it's not allowed to do, you're not allowed to do that. You know why? It's not for Kavadik. It's just not respectful to the mitzvah to be including Meraglayim in the cleaning process. Then the Mishnah stated, We permit a child to blow the shayfer. Says the Gemara, should we infer that women should not blow shayfer? There's another b'risa that says that a woman could blow on yomtev. Why over here are we only mentioning a child? Amr Abay Abay says, like Kash, there's no question, there happens to be a dispute between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yaisi Rabbi Shimon. Now we're going to get into a very, very interesting explanation of the laws of the laws of time-bound mitzvos as they pertain to women. Okay. Now let's talk for a moment before we enter this very, very important brisa. Here we go. If a person's not obligated to perform a mitzvah and you perform it, should it be a problem or not? So we're going to say, why would it be a problem? What's the issue? No, you're not obligated to do it. Do it anyway. But one second, didn't we learn that, for example, on Sukkot, there's seven days in Sukkot. The eighth day, you might run into a problem. What's going to be the problem? Baltosef. You, you, can't, you can't add to a mitzvah. A, a Jew is not supposed to sit in the sukkah for an additional day if it's not a mitzvah. So how does this work vis-a-vis a woman? If a woman's not obligated to perform a mitzvah because it's time-bound, does that mean, no, you're not obligated, but why not do it anyway? Or do we say, listen, if a woman's not obligated in all those time-bound mitzvahs, she shouldn't do it. Because if she does do it, she's adding on to mitzvahs. And you're not allowed to do that. Now, practically speaking, we know it's the former, right? We know that a woman is allowed to, a woman's not obligated in lulav, but she's allowed to take a lulav. She's not obligated in shofar, certainly allowed to listen to shaifer. But this is the conversation. Let's get into this b'risa. It's very interesting. The time we the b'risa. Dabro b'nei Yisrael, speak to b'nei Yisrael, b'nei Yisrael, which means that a male Jew does the smicha on a sacrifice, on a karbam, but a woman doesn't. Divir Rabbi Huda. This is the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says you should not, specifically do not. 
They say, listen, women are not obligated, but if they want to, they certainly can. Okay. Period. A, a child, you can even help them learn the mitzvah. Even on Shabbos, where usually we don't blow shofar and shul on Shabbos, if a kid is practicing with shofar on Shabbos, it's allowed. We learned in a brisa similarly. You see from here that you can allow a child to blow into the shofar even on a Shabbos. Okay. They're permitted to do it on Shabbos, and how much more so they're permitted to do it on Yom Tif. Now, before we go further, are we bothered by this? Are we bothered by a child blowing shofar on Shabbos? It says you're even allowed to allow a child to blow a shofar on Shabbos. Okay? Are we? Yeah. Anybody here bothered by that? I, I'm bothered. I'm bothered. It's muktzah, right? What about chinuch, right? If it's, you'd, say, you'd say that it's, uh, it's muktzah. So the, the reason given for this amongst the, the mefarshim, this is not, we're not getting into the practical halakh over here, but the, the, act, the logic behind this statement that we permit a child to blow shofar is for the following reason. Really, shofar is meant to be blown on Rosh Hashanah. Right? In the Torah, we're supposed to blow shofar even on Shabbos. The rabbis went ahead and they said, no, 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 no. If it's Shabbos, don't blow. We can tell you to be passive with this mitzvah because people might come to carry it outside. But as far as it being a mitzvah of the day, it, it certainly is biblically. Therefore, logic may dictate that a shofar is not really mukta. Because since you can, biblically, the mitzvah of shofar is still in existence. We just say don't do it for a child to go ahead and practice would it, um, wouldn't be a problem. Now some of the other Mepharshim explain, some of the other commentators explain that this leniency of a child only applied before the whole rabbinic ban of blowing on Shabbos. And they explain that originally when the blowing of the shofar was done on Shabbos, we can permit a child to do it. But once the rabbinic ban for us was put in place, so people don't come to carry, then everybody would agree. So there's, there's two ways to approach it. Okay, but be it as it may, the Gemara is now, uh, the Gemara is now going to ask a question. Kasha. What we just said is a contradiction. How so? Amrit, first we said, You can help them learn how to blow shofar even on Shabbos. Alma, you see from here, It's meaning this is ideal. Yeah? Go help them learn. But then you said, don't, you know, don't stop them. Don't stop them. Which means, Initially, we should not allow it. But if they do it, blow shoifer. Okay? So, for example, for example, I have a three-year-old kid in the house. He takes out his Paw Patrol toy. Okay? It's got batteries, it's got songs, it's got everything on it. All right? You're in the middle of your Shabbos day su'udah. You're in the middle of your meal. And all of a sudden, this toy starts singing all, all these, uh, you know, all these, uh, whatever, all these songs uh, coming from his toy. Do you, do you have to tell this two-year-old to put it away? It's muktzah. Right? The answer is no. He's two. However, do we initially put it in front of the child? No. 
That's what we're confused about, right? The Gemara is saying, one second. First, you're telling me it's like it's, it's great, it's fine. Let the kid blow shoifer. That seems to imply, like, no, put the muktza toy in front of the kid. And then you say, no, just don't stop the kid. There's a big difference between me actively putting it in front of him or me telling the kid to not stop. If, if, the, if the two-year-old does it himself, you don't need to stop him. But does that mean to actually put it in front of him? This is the confusion that we're having over here. Says the Gemara to answer like Kasha. There's no question. We now turn to the top of Amud Beis. Khan Okay. When a child is under the age of chinuch, and what is the age of chinuch? It really depends on the kid, and depends on what mitzvah we're dealing with. Anywhere the post can discuss anywhere between the age of three and nine. Okay. But if a child has not yet uh, reached the age, if the child has already reached the age of chinuch, so then. We say to um, to uh, um, not, not not start with it. However, if he has not reached the age of chinuch, then if we blow on his own, then we, we just don't stop it. Okay, beautiful. Second line, next part of the Mishnah said, If a person is blowing shoifer without the express intent of performance of a mitzvah, he does not fulfill his mitzvah. Says the Gemara, which seems to imply only if he did not have any mind. But what if he intended, and his intention was for it to be a song? It seems you do fulfill your mitzvah, right? All, all the Mishnah said is, if you have no mindset at all, it's a problem. But what if you had a mindset, it was just for playing music? It seems it's okay. Rav says, if you're playing shaifer as a flute, as an instrument, you're fine. No, maybe what the Mishnah means when it says misasik, you're blowing without any particular mindset. You know what it means? It's just you're not blowing it for the mindset of the mitzvah. That's all it means. It doesn't mean none. It just means you're not blowing it for the mindset of the mitzvah, which is logical. Okay. Then the Mishnah said, Anybody who hears from the one blowing also does not fulfill his mitzvah. Says the Gemara, What about somebody who listens to shofar being sounded by someone who's only blowing for himself. My, what is the Allah? So, let's explain that case. I'm taking a yomtif walk. I'm going for a yomtif walk. I have not yet heard the mitzvah, I have not yet heard shofar. It's Rosh Hashanah. And I'm walking by somebody's house and they're blowing shofar. Do they have me in mind? No. Are they blowing without any, without any mindset? No, they have a mindset. They're doing it for their own mitzvah. They just don't have me in mind. Okay? So it seems to imply, under those circumstances, yotza. One has fulfilled his obligation. This should be an upslug, a refute on Rav Zera. Rav Zera once said to his helper, Make sure to have me in mind. You see, from over here, our Brisa seems to imply he doesn't need to have me in mind. As long as he has das on the mitzvah, it's fine. So why did Rav Zera say specifically have me in mind? Answers the Gemara, Dilma, Nami, Meaning, maybe the Allah actually here is that one who has no particular intention does not fulfill the mitzvah. I, why do we say misasek? That was only because that was the word we used in the beginning. But practically speaking, what we're ending off with is, here's practical, the halacha. If somebody hears shofar from somebody else 
who does not know you're listening, and he's, he's blowing only for himself, then the listener has not fulfilled his mitzvah of shofar. Period. End of that uh, Gemara concerning the Mishnah of the creation of shofar and the shofar sounds. Okay. Now we move on to the next Mishnah. This next Mishnah is going to tell us how a shofar is actually blown, the proper sounds of the shofar. It's a very uh, fascinating uh, Mishnah. Here we go. Seder Tekiah Shalish Shal Shalish Shalish. Here's how it goes. The, the way you blow shofar is three sets of three, which, right, it's, we, we know that. Like you have Tekiah Trua Tekiah, Tekiah Shvarim Tekiah, Tekiah Shvarim Trua Tekiah, right? It's sets of three. Shir Tekiah, the, the measurement of the length of a Tekiah sound, Kishalash Truas, is three Truas. Shir trua, this the the measurement of a trua, kishalosh yavavos is like three yavavos. Yavavos are like size, short little cries. Okay, short little cries. Okay. So if you notice, what are we calling a trua? Three thighs. Now we are usually familiar with the three sound to be called a shvarim, right? We know that a tekiah is one long sound, shvarim is three, and then trua is nine short ones, correct? Over here, sheer trua, we're calling a trua over here, kishaloi shivavis. We're calling what we know as a shvarim, we're calling that to be a trua. Okay. Taka berishayna umashach bishniya. Let's say somebody uh, blew a taka, a tekiah, and then he made a long sound, as long as two tekiahs. You can't blow one long tekiah and then say it's split up. Okay? So, for example, let's, give, let's get a little bit practical. Okay? In our shul here. Okay? We follow the Baltekeya, who we have, the Baba Maisha, right? So how long is each one? So Rav Maisha Feinstein, Zechayin Lebracha, says like this. When you blow a tekiah shavarim tekiah, each tekiah should be two seconds long. So if it's going to be a tekiah shavarim tekiah, you're going to go two seconds of tekiah shavarim, and then two seconds of tekiah. The same thing holds true by a trua. If it's tekiah, shirua tekiah, so then each tekiah is going to be two seconds, trua, and then tekiah again for two seconds. If you're doing tekiah, shivarim trua tekiah, so then the tekiah on each side needs to be four seconds long. It's going to be a four second trua, and then a shvarim trua, and then another four seconds for the last tekiah. Got it? And then a tekiah gedola has to be five seconds or more. Those are, the, those are the measurements we use, okay? What the mission here is stating is the following. If somebody blows one long tekiah of four seconds, can I consider that two tekiahs? No. It needs to be broken. It needs to be split up. You can't just blow a very long tekiah and say, oh, now I have rollover seconds. You know, for the next for the next uh, tekiah that needs to be that needs to be used. That's not the way it works. You got to stop, and then the next sound has to be used. Okay. 
If a person made a bracha, what is the bracha referring to? This is referring to Tfilas Musuf, Hidavan Musuf, and he didn't have a shofar during Musuf, when we usually blow show when we usually blow the shofar. And then now he has a shofar come to him, Takeo, Maria, he blows a tekiah through a tekiah three times. The same way the Shliach Tibur, the one leading the congregation, very important to translate these words. A Shliach Tibur, if anybody here is ever appointed to lead a davening, to do something for a congregation, what are we called? Messengers of the Tibur. This is not a time for fame. It's not a time to show off. It's not a time to, right? You're there to do whatever the Tibur wants you to do. That's, that's, the, that's the goal of a Shliach Tibur. Not to sing your favorite song, but to sing the songs of the congregation, something that's going to inspire them. So to each individual's chayiv in the mitzvah, that the shliach tibur who blows the shayfer can have everybody else in mind. Okay, let's start going through this loaded mission. Says the Gemara, We learned that a tekiah is as long as one true. Okay? Says the Gemara, and we just said three. Our Tana is counting the Tekiyas of all of all three sets and the Trua of all three sets while Tana Bra, the Tana of the Brisa, he was just counting one of the sets. He wasn't referring to all three. Basically, the response is our Mishnah and Brisa work in tandem. One's referring, when we say three, it's referring to three sets. When we say one, referring to one set. Shir Trua Keshale Shibabis. A Trua is the sound of three short sighs. A trua is nine, right? Because what is a shvarim? When you do three times, that's nine. Says Gemara, one second. Is a trua three sounds? Or is a trua three shvarim, which is nine sounds? Amr Abaye, Abaye explains as follows. There's a dispute about this. Why is there a dispute about how the sound should come out? Because it says in the Torah, It is a day of trua for you. It's a day of shofar blowing. And what does it mean, a day of shofar blowing? What's the explanation? It is a day of yivava, of sighing to you. Famous story when it comes to Rosh Hashanah. It's only famous if you heard it though. And I love when people quote famous things that I never heard of. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm the only one who never heard of that, you know? Uksib de Sisra. And it says about Sisra's mother, Nishkifa. She looked through the window, she gazed out the window, Sisra, and she cried. So you see the word Yibuv is referring to short cries. Mar Sovar Ginuche Gonach. One man Yomar holds that Yivava means to sigh. Okay, and that's called um, and that's called a shvarim. So even the trua that we're referring to is called the shvarim. Umar savar yalule yolo. The other man Yomar holds that yavava refers to a real sob, a real all-out cry. Okay. Now, when a person sobs, the Gemara he, the, the Rashi explains over here, the sounds are much shorter. So it's like this: it goes, ay, 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 or is it? Right, like that. That's a so. How are we 
there's a machlokas how to go about learning what happened in the incident of Sisra's mother when she was crying. Okay? Was it a type of sobbing? Right? A lot, but very short. Or three shorter ones. That's the, that's the machlokas. Period. Okay. Now, let's pause for a moment. What we just learned in our Mishnah and explained in the Gemara is there are various sounds to be made. There's a tekiah sound, there's shrua sounds, but the, the method that we currently use, right? we use a, a, a method where it's like you have the tekiah, shvarim tekiah, tekiah, shrua tekiah, tekiah, shvarim, shrua tekiah. Where did all that come from? Where did where did this come from? So this next Gemara is going to take us on to tomorrow's daf. When it gets started, we'll keep going over here. Okay, we'll probably end up stopping in the middle of the sugya. But that's that's what we're going to be involving ourselves with um, this evening and Bez Hashem tomorrow as well. So let, let's go. Tanu Rabbanon, the rabbis learned, and so should we. Okay, we're about eight lines from the bottom of the other. Minayin Shebish Shofar, how do we know? That first of all, we use a shofar to make these sounds. Talmud Lomar Vavarta Shofar Trua. You should pass and use a shofar to make the trua sound. In the Yalabi This verse is said on Yom Kippur of a Yovel year. Birosha Shonami Nain. How do I know that I must use a shofar when I make my sounds on Rosh Hashanah? Talmud Lomar Bachodesh Ashvi. In the seventh month, Sha'in Talmud Lomar Bachodesh Ashvi. You didn't need to tell me that you blow the, sh- the shofar on Yom Kippur in the seventh month, we already know that Yom Kippur is in the seventh month. Why do you got to point out the seventh month? These words seem to be extra, and we know there's no extra words in the Torah. So what is it teaching us? The same way, in the seventh month on Yom Kippur, we blow a shofar by Yovel, so too, any time you blow shofar in the seventh, every, any, I'm sorry, any time you blow a, a, a sound in the seventh month, it must be used with a shofar. Okay? So listen to this. Let's just talk outside what we just said. This is so amazing. Why do we even use a shofar instead of a trumpet? Answer is, it's a drusha from Yom Kippur on Yovel. Once every 50 years, in the seventh month, on the 10th day, we sound the shofar. So we're going to learn from there, any time a, sho- uh, a sound is blown in the seventh month, it must be used with a shofar. Okay? All right, let's keep going. How do we know that before every true sound, you need a tekiah first? That it goes tekiah, chirua. Who says a tekiah has to come before the trua? Talmud Lomar, the verse tells me, You should pass in front of the trua. Okay, now the word vahavarta means you do this beforehand. So before the trua, there should be a shofar sound. How do we know that it goes tekiah, trua, and then tekiah again? How do I know that every trua needs to have a sound before? We just explained. How do I know that needs to have a sound after as well? Says the Gemara, Talmud Lomar, Ta'aviru shofar. You should be Ta'aviru the shofar. 
Ta'aviru means you should go through the shayfar. Okay, meaning, how do you go through something when you're in the center? So when it says shrua, what does a shrua mean? You're in the center, you're going through, that means it's in the center of tekiyas. So fascinating, right? That's how I know that a shrua, a tekiya has to be first, a tekiya has to be at the end, and the shrua goes in the center. The shrua goes through those two cells. I know that this only that, that it applies on Yovel, that my trua needs to have a tekiya before and a tekiya after. as well. What does that mean? We now turn to the top of tomorrow's daf. Same thing we said before. It didn't need to tell me the seventh month. We already know Yom Kippur is in the seventh month. Why did we say that? To teach me. The same way in the seventh month on Yom Kippur, we sound Tekiah, Trua, Tekiah. So too on Rosh Hashanah, which is the seventh month, we sound Tekiah, Trua, Tekiah. Okay, we're going to hold it here. We're now up to the top of Daf Lamed Dalid. We're up to the top of tomorrow's Daf. We will pick up from Uminayan Lishalosh Shalosh Shalosh. We're going to get into a continuation of the process that we do and continue on with the sources for the whole process. Bezas Hashem. Tomorrow there's a, a, also just going to be a, a fascinating daf, a lot to learn. We're going to have some interesting stories on tomorrow's daf. Bezas Hashem. We'll hold it here this evening. Guten Erev Shabbos, everybody. And I look forward to seeing everybody tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to do daf in the afternoon. Uh, 12.15 Central. All right, so that's, uh, we'll pick up from here tomorrow. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening.